Hello, 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 and welcome to the Kingston Curator here on 101.9 FM CFRC. My name is Lauren Tucker, and I'm very happy to be your host, bringing you arts headlines, interviews, and our live music calendar all throughout the summer. This week, we're bringing you conversations across festivals and live music releases here in the Kingston area. Local band The Gertrudes releases their fifth full-length album today, Just to Please You, and Greg Tilson of the band stopped by to chat with us about the group's history, creative process, and this brand new record. Later on in the hour, we're visited by Riley Morrison and Rupert Davies of the Number 9 organization ahead of their second annual Cloud 9 Electronic Music and Eco Art Festival, which will be hitting Rideau Lakes from September 8th to 10th. Plus, keeping it locked to the upcoming arts festivals, artistic director Aaron McCauley of the Kingston Writers Fest joins us for a first look at the 2023 festival, which will be running from September 27th to October 1st. We'll have all that plus your live music calendar coming up, but first, here are your headlines for the week. Airing this Sunday, August 20th on CFRC, the Shortwave Radio Theater Camp's final radio drama performances will be broadcast beginning at 6 p.m. Funded generously by the Kingston Arts Council, the City of Kingston, the Dan School of Drama and Music, and our 2022 funding drive donors, our free, inclusive, and accessible camp offered creative and skills-building fun for local youth ages 12 to 16, a third of whom were newcomer youth learning English as an additional language. Three different productions, Rossum's Universal Robots, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea were performed and recorded by local youth over the course of July. And now, with final touches complete, the performances will be broadcast for you to enjoy. For more on this initiative, you can visit cfrc.ca. The Union Gallery has an open call for Queen's University student artists through to August 21st for presentation of artwork on their feature wall this coming autumn and through to October 16th for presentation in the Union Gallery main space in the winter of 2024. If you're a Queen's student with an arts piece you'd like to submit for consideration for display at the Union Gallery, you can get in touch with them at ugallery.director at queensu.ca with a statement of interest and examples of your creative works. More information about the call and how to submit is available at uniongallery.com queensu.ca. Also at the Union Gallery, two new exhibitions will be premiering on August 29th and running until November 25th. In the main space, you'll be able to visit At the Buffet by Maddie Lecheck and Raquel Rowe. This duo places an emphasis on collaborating on food, fun, and experimentation. With a shared interest of food as a medium within performance art, the two experiment frequently with taste, touch, and texture. This all-you-can-eat exhibition highlights key moments in their collaborative journey thus far and focuses on the materiality of food by emphasizing color and form. And in the project room, Wane Kina, Should I Tell or No? is curated by Mevish Rather and will feature work from Kashmiri artists exploring alternative and experimental forms of filmmaking that use low-resolution technology which promotes sustainability. For more on these upcoming exhibitions, visit uniongallery.queensu.ca. Applications to the Isabel Bader Center's 2023-2024 Imagine Arts Incubator Program are open now for the last week with a deadline of August 20th. This artist residency supports creation-based filming, recording, or streaming initiatives for original works. It seeks socially engaged art projects tackling the issues of our time. To learn more and apply for this program, you can find it all at queensu.ca slash theisabel. Don't forget every Sunday that you can stop by Market Square for the Cataraque Indigenous Art and Food Market, featuring a variety of vendors, each with their own unique touch. For handcrafted items, visual art, clothing, jewelry, home decor, and traditional Indigenous dishes from Cadu's First Foods, you can stop by Sundays from 10 to 3 p.m. through to September 24th. 
And all throughout August at Kingston's Independent Cinema The Screening Room, you can catch the classic cinema lineup, showcasing favorite features like Wet Hot American Summer, The Lion King, The Searchers, Heat, Thelma and Louise, Some Like It Hot, and 1979's The Muppet Movie. Plus, you can visit on certain days for $7 family matinees. For more special events, showtimes, and tickets at the screening room, you can visit screeningroomkingston.com. Also in cinema news, head down to Market Square this coming Thursday evening, August 24th, for a screening of the musical movie Grease 2. Bring your blankets, chairs, and bug spray for a movie night under the stars. The movie starts at dusk and admission is free. You can visit downtownkingston.ca for the whole summer lineup of movies in the square. The Bell Park Project released news of their latest project, Unearthed, on Wednesday, August 16th. The new exhibition will be a walk in the park with a twist, a week-long series of artistic installations, conversations, and experiments that seek to reveal and imagine some of the stories of Bell Park, which will be running from August 26th to the 30th. Artists will activate spaces in the park on various days through music, geocaching activities, and temporary art installations. There will also be an exhibition at the Art and Media Lab in the Isabel Bader Center running concurrently with this event. Together, the art in the gallery and in the park seeks to suggest ways of engaging with a rich space with an uncertain future. For more about this event and to learn more about the Bell Park Project as a whole, visit bellparkproject.com. And last but certainly not least, the Limestone City Blues Festival is fast approaching from August 24th to 27th in downtown Kingston. This year's lineup includes Jeremy Albino, Roosevelt Collier, Durham County Poets, Jerry Ledger and the Situation, Bywater Call, Rob Lutz, and Mellonfont in Medford. The festival is in its 26th year and includes two main stage events in the Springer Market Square, as well as shows in Confederation Park and in clubs across downtown Kingston. This year we'll also have a food vendor and licensed area. Wristbands for the festival start at $25 and are available now at downtownkingston.ca. Local band The Gertrudes drops their album Just To Please You today, August 18th, and will be hosting an album release party at Daft Brewing tomorrow night in celebration. There's so much exciting news going on with this group, so here's Greg Tilson of The Gertrudes on CFRC to chat about the latest. We are here with Greg Tilson of local band The Gertrudes upon release of their new album, Just To Please You, today, August 18th, ahead of their free community concert in celebration of the album at Daft Brewing, which is tomorrow night at August 19th, 7 p.m. Welcome back to CFRC, Greg. Thanks a lot for having me. We're really excited to be here on like album release day and right ahead of the concert. It's just like perfect timing to be here on The Curator with it. We've been, you know, waiting here at the station to hear the album just a really exciting time so to kind of kick things off this is the band's fifth full-length album as i understand yes, it yeah so first vinyl though first vi- that is so exciting it's yeah. always having a vinyl record is like re- just really exciting to have that kind of physical almost anchor of the project i would imagine it's a big deal yeah. like and also it really shows off um the artist's work julie davidson smith um, the cover is just like stunning artwork and so with a vinyl package you really really get something to, to appreciate the artwork yeah that's so awesome and I'm looking at the vinyl right now at time mm-hmm. of recording and yeah if you can get your hands on one of these it's just stunning work so we've come into this fifth album and can you just introduce us to Just to Please You as an album and maybe share a little bit about the process of making it with the band? Yeah for sure so it's come Coming off a 2020 release, 
uh, that was called Emergency to Emergency. And that was co-produced by two producers, one named Matt Rogalski, who's also a member of the band, and Jason Mercer, uh, who's over at a studio on Wolf Island. And he's a new member of the band. He's our banjo player. And so uh, Just to Please You is our first time working solely with Jason Mercer as the producer. And he has a, a different approach. He's he's His experience is like over the top. Like he's worked with Ani DeFranco and Ron Sexsmith and like toured the world and done all kinds of great production work. And so, yeah, it was a treat just to, just to try like a different, a different approach. And I think what your listeners will find for many of the tracks is something that's a little bit more sparse, uh, more space uh, than usual. Um, you know, for, for this collective that has been known to have like over 20 people playing uh, at a time, like uh, there's some tracks that are just a two or three people, you know? So um, a, bit of, a bit of a different approach. And then in, thematically, um, the last album, of course, was about crises, you know, of the pandemic and uh, homelessness and mental health and addictions and all of the crises that we're confronted with these days. And this album, it still references those types of struggles in our neighborhood. However, it's moving more in the de- direction of kind of like a celebration of our neighborhood. You know, like there's there's love songs, there's kind of tributes to to people in the in the neighborhood and. So those are two significant kind of uh, things that listeners might notice off the top of my head. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about perhaps the last album and this one being two sides of the same coin, kind of taking Mm -hmm. the good with the bad. And it sounds like it's a really local project. Do you find that as a band, being local to Kingston is a big part of your writing or creative process? Are you pretty community-centered? It's huge. Uh, You know, we're very... It's hyper local, I would yeah. say. You know, like we're we're rooted uh, in the, in that Skeleton Park neighborhood. You know, like the members of the band are the leaders in running the Skeleton Park Arts Festival and doing concert series and, and the newspaper, like all those things that we do in the neighborhood. We all live like in a four block radius, except for our drummer and uh, Pete Bowers and Jason Mercer who are over on the island. And I should I should mention that. That's a significant, like, kind of sister little uh, arts community for us because we're the record label is called Wolf Island Records, right? And we we perform at the hotel, you know, and we have a show coming up on October twenty eighth at Halloween show at, at the hotel. Oh, and that's fun. Yeah, so so there there is there are those two kind of arts scenes, I guess you'd call it. But um, yeah, we're we're so rooted. In, in the neighborhood and, and that's definitely shown in the way we approach music, share music, write lyrics. And also it's becoming multi-generational. Like um, you'll see uh, our kids are performing now and recording. Like on the album, for example, two of our keyboardists and bass players, kids Astrid Erb and August Erbs, are playing like significant roles as vocalists and electric guitar players. Um, Matt Rogalski's kid Arden, who's a renowned musician themselves uh, as part of the Princess Towers project locally, um, they're you know they're playing drums and percussion. And so, you, anytime you see like kids playing and and part of that 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 community that band. Um, uh, I say when I say kids, I just mean the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know there's they're rooted you know like there's something that's significant that this is a long-term project yeah that it has kind of uh, a continuing life as mm-hmm. the years go on and the community changes. That's really fascinating and it's honestly a really great segue I think to the next question mm-hmm. I have for you which is that this is a really large outfit of people. Like mm-hmm. there's so many folks contributing as a part of this band and album and it gives this really cool full dynamic sound and then also it can have that smaller right. sound you were talking about. Yeah. But I was wondering how do you take all those folks and everyone's strengths and inspirations and coordinate them into songwriting and album production. It seems like it would be quite the feat to pull off. Yeah, it is. Like, organizing it... I mean, I think that's where where I come in, generally speaking, is, like, I, I enjoy, like, that coordinating aspect of it, like, whether it's the rehearsals or the performances or the recording or whatever. And, like, the thing I get most excited about is, is just, like, opening the door and like you know allowing whoops everyone to come in and so uh that is something i get excited about and enjoy but to answer your question um i think how it works in general in terms of songwriting and recording is that um annie uh clifford uh my partner and also the fiddle player banjo player and vocalist we're primarily the songwriters and so in the rehearsals where there's you know people coming and going players will like pitch these songs and then we'll jam on them together and the songs will start to emerge there are some key arrangers like our keyboardist james jason herb um takes a, often like a, a leadership role in in, the, in arranging the songs and when we get it to a place you know where we're, we're starting we're comfortable performing it that's when it kind of moves into studio and that's when someone like Jason Mercer would sit down with me and get a bed track and then start to explore like what instruments we want to hear in the song and like who we want to invite in and that's the beauty of it there's so many people we can we can feature and there's lots of special guests on the album too like the title track has uh, an electric guitar player named Joel Williams who we've never featured before so there's lots of exciting new names too but yeah, that's kind of the process from like the songwriter to jamming out the songs to, um, st- you know, arranging, starting to lay the bed tracks down in recording studio, perform, and then form the instrumentation by just inviting people into studio and giving people the freedom to kind of play what they want, or what they hear, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting, kind of building these tracks from the ground up with all these folks. That's so, so cool. Did you find that process came about organically at the beginning of the band, or did it start off more challenging than perhaps it is now? I think it's always been that way. Yeah, it's always been that organic approach. I mean, we started out just as this, like, neighborhood group of people that met at the open mic at the grad club you know and so it it has roots and just being these random people making music together and then it kind of emerged from there and I think I like I'd like to tip my hat to Matt Rogalski because in terms of the recording like it was him that that was able to like have the patience to to work with all these people and like and he always has had a very like consensus based approach to like how we finalize the recordings, you know? So there's like all these endless emails of people's opinions of like how we should mix songs. And he's open to that and has always been and has been very generous with what he cl- includes on our albums. You know, he's done the majority of the albums of the Gertrudes. 
so that that's been the approach so i yeah i think it always has been just this organic you know i like i always say it's like a it's a community building project you know it's not a typical four-piece rock band it's just it's just uh it's more of a project that's about people and relationships and it's almost like the music comes second (laughs) (laughs) no but that's so interesting because it kind of speaks to i think what would make the group unique and i think would make it really treasured in the community and sort of speaking of being rooted in the community Mm -hmm. and pivoting a little bit to the show at daft you guys have toured extensively across canada including uh, vancouver folk festival as i understand it Mm -hmm. halifax pop explosion Mm -hmm. but what role do you find live performance plays for you as a band both abroad and kind of uh, within the kingston community yeah that's a great question and it does relate to the last uh, interview question uh, in terms of like yeah what what are we trying to do with performance and again getting back to just kind of being rooted in, in, a, in a community like we're actually more interested these days in in performing like in our community and less interested in traveling and I think that like in the past uh you know, we've benefited so much from having the privilege to be able to travel across the country and, you know, experience these festivals and venues across Canada and meet new musicians and promoters and have those rich, like, cultural experiences, which is really important. And for any artists out there that are listening that are trying to make a living, like, obviously that's essential. You know, we're not that. We're mm-hmm. not that. We're, we're people that are, um, you know, it's not like a a money-making project like right. obviously <laughs> right and so i you know when i say that i'm i'm saying we have we have that luxury um so yeah i think um when we perform like in the in the instance of tomorrow's uh like release party that's what it is you know it's a party it's it's getting together with friends and family and the people that help make the album and our audience and and also Daft Brewing is who sponsored us, you know, um, they also sponsor the festival, like, so they're part of our community and they're doing great work, like sponsoring many important organizations around town. So it's just kind of a celebration in that sense. We're going to going to be set up on the patio and people can come and go and we'll just, so that's, that's what that performance is, is, you know, celebration and, um, very relaxed, informal. Um, but yeah, I think like, what we want to do with performances is almost more like set up shop in places where people can just keep coming to us, you know, like almost like a residency approach. Um, so that, and that goes to beyond Kingston as well. Like, you know, I think people who are really into music are, have been to cities where there's just these, these venues that have these, these bands that are known for always playing there. And you kind of go to that venue to, to see, like, I think that's what we're going for. Whether it be like, at next church or a bar downtown or whatever like um we're just trying to kind of have that consistency um to connect locally which is you know how we started off this conversation yeah for sure and talking about being kind of rooted in the community and having people come to you i was curious a lot of the musicians that we are lucky enough to have on the show have talked to us previously about the concept of quote-unquote road testing your songs before they come out on the album yeah is that important to you guys to get these tracks out in front of an audience before they make the full length yeah another great question because i think that is um a really great approach you know because your songs like change 
when they're performed and you know you get feedback you see how audience react um, you know you, you, the more you play it the songs kind of solidify themselves often and to be honest like I think ideally that is what I would like to do yeah. but I don't because we're not touring and, and not playing a whole lot of shows these days it doesn't always work out that way so I think I think what is happening is we're we're almost like um, going into studio quite quickly after the songs have been written um, but it works in a different way you know like I think it it, it provides motivation and, and things to work towards and uh, it keeps us moving like that oh, with, a, with sure. a big collective like like this like that's half the battle for someone like me is just to keep the momentum going and keep people engaged yeah. and so like <laughs> when there's not like a, a tour or a whole lot of gigs um, you know just focusing on recording as a way to motivate us to finish these songs is equally as, uh, as valuable Oh, for sure. I totally get that that instinct too. I have this thing and I just want to get it out yeah. in front of people. Yeah. And it's, that totally the artist makes experience. sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. So just to kind of begin to not close off, but to lead us into our kind of next segment celebrating this album release, we're going to highlight this track, Living in the Wind, which I think is already a really cool standout. But the song has a really sort of interesting lyrical through line. Can you talk to us more about the basis of this song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, you know, like I was saying, it's a, it's, there's a lot of us, a big kind of community of family and friends and musicians in the Gertrudes. And, and so this particular song, uh, was uh, um, Josh Lyons' partner Corky uh, Papley came to me with a newspaper article from the Whig, the Whig Standard in Kingston, and was like, "Have you read this story? It's about um, this guy, uh, Buddy Smith was his name, back in 1972, I believe, who escaped from Millhaven." Oh my gosh! Yeah, and it's it's a really well written story. Um, and it, it talks about him escaping uh, after a baseball game in the in the, the penitentiary, and um, yeah, kind of like running through the woods and and ending up in Napanee, like starving and like without any shoes, and and ending up sleeping in this in this barn on on, on this farmstead in, in Napanee, and um, the kids of this family dis- discovering him in the in the barn. And um, bringing him into the house, and uh, and he the 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 woman the mother like kind of sits him down. She she's baked a pie and feeds him, and they get to know each other. He ends up playing baseball with the kids, and what ends up happening is that she talks to him and actually uh, convinces him to pick up the phone and turn himself in. And so then the, uh, I guess the, the, the authorities come to pick him up and, and there's, a, there's a kind of a story where um, the, they, they handcuff him and he kind of, before he gets in the car, he like flips the pie into his mouth and kind of winks at the kids and hops in and he just has this really wonderful spirit to him, the way he's portrayed this guy, Buddy Smith. And I guess later on, his parents came by to, to, to thank the family for taking him in and helping him out. And um, so, yeah, it was just, you know, it's such a great story. And it's not that I want to, like, glorify. I definitely don't want to glorify prisons or anything like that. It was just the story. And, and living in the wind seemed to represent this guy's spirit 
right? His, yeah. his approach, his like this, his free spiritedness, and um, and also uh, you know take some some I took some liberties with the relationship um, uh, with the family and describing the song. That is just so fascinating to hear about, honestly. Yeah. It's, it really puts me in mind personally, too, of I'm sure this has come up in the creative process in terms of local songs with similar themes. Um, 38 Years Old by The Hip immediately yes, comes to mind. It. And that's just really fascinating to think about, again, kind of a local story yeah. that, that we have to tell, based on just geography and mm -hmm. the history of prison and incarceration yes. in the area that's really really fascinating and so when one of you has an idea like mm -hmm. that that gets brought to the table do you find it easy to translate a narrative story into lyrics or does that tend to take a lot of workshopping as a group because I think that can be really challenging depending on who you are yeah it's interesting you know now that you ask like I find the band in general doesn't like um, they're not they, they, what I've noticed is they're more they're really into arranging the music right. and jamming out the songs and it's rare actually now that I think of it that, that um, you know suggestions are made for changing the lyrics that doesn't happen too often um, so that process is more Annie and mine in terms of the lyrics and so for me, like when I have something that inspires me, like a newspaper article, or often I'll just find like Annie's kind of poetry, like on little scraps of paper around the paper. Like I just need these little sparks right. to start writing. Actually, one thing I'm super excited about, uh, this is a little off topic, but we get to work with um, Kingston's Poet Laureate, Sadiqa Demeyer, to co-write a song for Writers Fest in that's September. That's so awesome. Yeah, so there's, like, that's the ideal scenario for me, right? Yeah. Is to have this, you know, Governor General award-winning poet come up with the words, and then we can add the music to it. That's the best combo. Um, that's so But, fun. In, yeah, in general, like, um, you know, yeah, we're inspired that by these local stories, and, um, and Annie and I are able to put them to lyrics for the band to then help with the music. Well, that's so awesome to hear about the whole process yeah. behind this. Just one last question yeah. for you before we head out. What invitation would you extend for listeners to join you at the album release party at DAF tomorrow? What can they expect and maybe what can they look forward to from the band as a whole? Oh, yeah. Well, great question. Like, I think uh, it's looking like it's going to be a nice night uh, tomorrow night at, uh, at DAF 768 Princess Street. Um, and just be prepared for something that's just super relaxed super chill um you know i don't think they the daft brewing has set up a large band like this <laughs> on their patio before uh so i think it's going to be very much like you know spilling onto the sidewalk in the parking lot and and so it you know it's possible you won't necessarily get a seat if you don't get there early but it's okay you can just like you could stand literally right beside the band if you're on the sidewalk or whatever uh, or go into the bar and see it from inside or just i guess that would be the the invitation is just to expect something very um informal and lots of wandering around lots of mingling and uh we'll, yeah we'll just play songs from the new album and some old hits as well and uh, there's just delicious beer there and snacks and a great a great community scene at Daft Brewing. So that's uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, 768 Princess Street at Daft Brewing. Uh, the 
see the, the album release party for the Gertrude's uh, new album, Just to Please You. Absolutely perfect. So listeners, you can catch that new album just to please you out now and join them for that community concert free celebration at Daft Brewing from 7 to 10 on Saturday. For more about the Gertrudes, you can check them out at Gertrudes.com. But keep it locked here on the Kingston Curator because here they are with a track off the new album that we were just lucky enough to hear the story behind. On the Kingston Curator, here's the Gertrudes with Living in the Wind. I left my shoes by the river last night Wind blew through your dress in the twilight Broke out of Millhaven but my sins they still follow me There was a blue Me on this diamond, mind out. 
For today's live music lineup, I'll be featuring shows from fantastic local and visiting acts fast approaching to Kingston. Keep it locked because you won't want to miss these details. Hotel Wolf Island will be hosting a solo set from Silverpool's Todd McDonald tonight, August 18th at 7pm, with supporting acts 10 Moon of Amherst Island. Silverpool's is a post-punk duo from Toronto that blends symbolist poetry and protest song with lush synths, electric guitar and mandolin, and a hypnotic drum machine named Oscar. This is a free 19 plus event, so be sure to check it out. Also tonight, August 18th, with doors at 7pm, the Creep Show, Pound Salt, Sonic Souvenir, and Nocturnica will be bringing Psychobilly and more to the mansion. Tickets to this 19 plus show are $22.50 in advance and $25 at the door, with tickets available now at the listing at kingstonlive.ca. And as mentioned in our interview with Greg Tilson, the Gertrudes will be celebrating the release of their new album, Just to Please You, with a free 7 p.m. show at Daft Brewing Patio. Stop by for a relaxed celebration and to hear the newest drops as well as old favorites. At the Broom Factory on Wednesday, August 23rd, metalcore group Upon a Burning Body will be playing a 7 to 10 p.m. show with 6.30 door supported by As the Structure Falls. Tickets to this all-ages show are $25 and available now at broomfactory.ca. And also at the Broom Factory, Backseat Dragon will be playing a 7.30 to 10 p.m. show with 7 p.m. doors with supporting acts Sorry Snowman and the Astros on Thursday, August 24th. Tickets are $13 and you can visit broomfactory.ca to bag them now. For more on these shows and all of the awesome gigs headed to Kingston this week, you can visit kingstonlive.ca. For the rest of the hour, we're going to be looking towards the autumn of upcoming festivals in Kingston. First off, we're visited by Riley and Rupert of the Number 9 organization ahead of the Cloud9 Electronic Music and Eco Art Festival, which will be running from September 8th to 10th in Rideau Lakes. Check it out. Listeners, we are here with Cloud9 Festival co-director Riley Morrison and music lead Rupert Davies from the festival joining us here to talk about the upcoming Cloud9 Electronic Music and Eco Art Festival running in Rideau Lakes this coming September 8 to 10th. How are you both doing? Welcome to CFRC. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to be chatting with you about this since it's still fairly new. It's coming into the second year. It's all very exciting stuff, but I thought just to start off, um, it would be a good background for our listeners to know what number nine is as an organization and what your core tenets and events are at this time. Yeah, I can begin with that and I'm sure Rupert can jump in. So number nine is an environmental and art nonprofit, a climate action charity, and the mission around the nonprofit is to empower young people with the tools to build sustainable communities. Um, So they have four main projects, one of which is Imagine My Sustainable Community, which is an educational program run by their architects um, in which students get to learn about how to use art and design to build sustainable communities and address social and environmental problems. And then there's Public Art for Change, which empowers artists to build public art. There's Number Nine Gardens, which is actually a hands-on educational facility in Rio Lakes, which doubles as the venue for Cloud9. Um, I was actually an intern there one year, which is how I got to meet Rupert and some of the other co-founders. And so it's just a really great space. There's about 50 acres and there's gardens, there's yurts and glamping tents and a kitchen where a lot of farm to table cooking happens and workshops focused on sustainable living. So it's really just this amazing hub to learn and immerse yourself in 
how to be more sustainable. Um, and then finally, we have the Cloud9 project, which is number nine's most recent project and is led by Rupert, myself, and a team of really great individuals. Um, and so the purpose of Cloud9, which I'm sure we'll get into more in this conversation with you, is just about you know promoting climate action through music, art, and community. And this year, really, we're really trying to hone in on the nine pillars of sustainability, which are these pillars um, of number nine, um, some of which are waste management, renewable energy, public art and design, and civic engagement. You, I was wondering, what do you feel that number nine in the Cloud Nine Festival as an organization and an event brings to the community that was a, a need that was seen in the first place? I, I could answer this question. I, I think of it in terms of two aspects. Um, one being uh, it's this hub for music and art, um, using those mediums to engage with uh, environmental issues. And then the second being um, the educational component to it, um, learning how to um, live a more sustainable lifestyle um, and have more sustainable practices. Cloud9 formed as um, this space where we could bring awareness to Number Nine Gardens, and that's the venue of Cloud9. Um, and it was all about introducing people within our generation um, who might be struggling with climate anxiety um, to a, a, a space where they can meet like-minded people um, who are uh, maybe thinking that we have to have a more inclusive, creative, and open-minded uh, perspective on on how to lead a more sustainable lifestyle. What's really great about this year and now that we're getting more established is we're creating a lot of connections with other mission-aligned and youth-led organizations, um, not just in Kingston but also in Toronto and Montreal. Um, so for instance, this year we're partnering with the Great Lakes Plastic Cleanup who are coming out um, to promote their own work and to also help ensure like a sustainable waste management system and streamline our waste management at the festival this year, which is really great. You know, we also have this pop-up market where small businesses are coming, ones that are focused on sustainable, you know, products. Um, so I think what's great now is we're really focused on being this platform for other organizations and youth-led organizations to come out and have a space to meet one another and meet other people who might be interested in their work. Yeah, no, that's so perfect because it kind of comes into the next thing I was hoping to ask you now that we know kind of what your ideas are and what we can expect this year was being able to partner with these other organizations, something that kind of came out of maybe what you learned from the first year? Like, was there anything you learned from the inaugural year that you can speak to now? Um, I would say the main thing that we learned is we, we just wanted it to be longer. Um, there was so much that went into the planning of the first year. Um, and now that we have kind of the, the more um, logistic side of the festival, um, lockdown, it, it just enabled us to have a lot more uh, flexibility and freedom for be, being more creative uh, this year in terms of what we offer at the festival and um, the organizations that we're able to partner with. And it does definitely um, help to have had that one year uh, under our belt so that organize, organizations 
know what to expect and, and really know um, that our, our missions can be aligned. Um, yeah, I, I would just say that we had such an amazing time, um, both the, the team and the attendees, and so we wanted it to be longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, last year we only really had the bandwidth to pull off one day and, you know, we just wanted to get that under our belts, like Rupert said, but this year, you know, part of the whole mission of Cloud9 is for people to learn about Number 9 and its work. And so what better than having people out for an entire weekend of camping and workshops and art making where they really get to be immersed in Number 9's work. And, you know, every time I've gone to Number 9, I just leave feeling so refreshed and energized. and we want people who come to the festival to leave feeling like that and feeling like there's, you know, there's inspiration in this world of doom scrolling that they can look forward to every year and, you know, hopefully continue to carry on in their own communities. How do these music artists get involved with the lineup? How does forming the set for the weekend look? So, yeah, I was the the music lead and early on um, last year or even two years ago when we were planning last year um, we made the decision to have the music be electronic and and I'm aware that not many people think to electronic music as being the uh, sonic background of, of a sustainable future uh, but there's a lot of um, points that I can make about just in the past, how it has been so instrumental in terms of creating uh, cultural dialogue and change just in, in communities in New York and Chicago. it's It's been the genre that gathers people together into spaces that are free from discrimination. So I, I saw kind of a niche in this, um, this field and I, I think it's a great pairing uh, once you come and truly experience it. I researched into another positive to the fact that we're extending it to a weekend-long festival uh, is we can invite artists from further distances uh, and in greater communities. And so a lot of my research was done in Toronto and Montreal dance music communities. And I feel pretty confident that um, the artists that I selected for this year um, are really uh, hold a huge impact in those dance communities in, in both cities, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, quick note, I wanted to just say that I think what's really cool is one of our DJs, CL, actually used to play on CFRC radio, so I think that's a really cool film. Oh, awesome! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to have her this year. Yeah, for sure. Like, the lineup looks great, and that's so cool to see kind of the networking of different dance and electronic music scenes across Canada. That sounds just really great. So. I was wondering as well, in addition to being a music festival, Cloud9 is an eco-art festival. So for our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with that term, can you define or tell us about what comprises something as eco-art? Um, but yeah, into the eco-art. So eco-art is a form of art that is made out of like, you know, natural materials. It can completely go back into the earth and sort of the intention behind this type of art is to bring awareness to environmental issues. Um, so that's, you know, a big intention that we had in combining art and music, given the, you know, mission of Number 9 and Cloud 9. And this year, we're gonna have the eco-art 
exhibition is actually co-presented by the Agnes Etherington Art Center and Number Nine. Uh, so their curator of contemporary art, Sunny Kerr, has curated this exhibition called With the Land, which has an amazing lineup of really great artists that you can look at on our website to get some more information. Um, but essentially these works are kind of scattered, populated all over Number Nine Gardens, beautiful outdoor trails, riverbank, wildflower fields. Um, so it's a really integ integral part of the Cloud Nine Festival where guests get to walk around while listening to music. And there's also this really amazing new addition this year, which is this large scale um, mosaic tiling where people actually get to contribute themselves. And we've been donated tiles from Seat. Um, so I think that's something I'm really looking forward to watching this beautiful mosaic tile piece be built out and like reflect on the sun. I think it's going to be so beautiful and really just like tie in everything we want to achieve. Yeah. yeah. And also the exhibition will be open to the public for self-guided tours every weekend until October 1st. So if you miss the festival, you can also go to number nine and check it out yourself. So this has all been really fantastic, but I just wanted to give kind of the final opportunity for you both. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight from this year's programming at the festival? Like we mentioned, this year is now a three-day festival with camping included. And something I'd like to highlight about this year's programming is that people should definitely buy the all-access pass because you get to come out Friday and Saturday to camp. And I think Friday is just going to be a really great intimate vibe. We're gonna have a farm to table meal for everyone who's there. We're gonna have a film screening by a local artist and also just get to do fun activities and like have a bonfire. So I think we did that last year, but it was a little bit more spontaneous, not so organized. It just happened to be with like Cloud9 members. And personally, I think it was one of the best times of the festival just to really get to connect with the artists who were there, the other members, volunteers it really reflects our intention of creating a community. So I would definitely promote getting that uh, festival and, or sorry, festival pass. And also just want to promote that we still have volunteer tickets available um, if people want to come and help out and like kind of, you know, be part of our team in a more intentional way. Well, that's so fantastic. Thank you so much for your time here, the both of you. Uh, listeners, the Cloud9 Festival runs from September 8th to 10th in Rideau Lakes, and tickets are available now. You can get that full access pass, but they do start at $75 for other tickets. And for more, you can visit www.number9.ca. That's no9.ca. And thank you again so much. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. For our last but certainly not least interview of this week, Artistic Director of Kingston Writers Fest, Ara McCauley, visited the CFRC studio to give us a first look at the 2023 15th Annual Kingston Writers Fest. Take a listen. We are here with Ara McCauley, Artistic Director of Kingston Writers Fest, with a first look at this autumn's festival. Welcome to the Kingston Curator. Thanks very much for having me. We're really excited to be bringing this first look to the program here this summer, even though it is a little ways off. So we have a little bit of prep time here, which is awesome. So as I understand it, KWF is coming up on its 15th year. Can you maybe comment on what this festival seeks to do within the community and maybe how you feel it contributes to the artistic scene in Kingston? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, this will be our 15th annual festival and Kingston Writers Fest started out 
very small, scrappy, volunteer-led free event at um, the library. Um, and then in 2009, it became its own official festival. So it's become an institution in the community, I think, and um, an opportunity to bring authors and artists to a city that might otherwise not get them in here. It's also an amazing way to showcase our local talent. We have a ridiculous number of artists of all types in Kingston, but authors as well. I mean, um, the area that I live around, Skeleton Park, has the nickname of Writer's Block because there are so <laughs> many writers working there. So it's an opportunity to showcase lo local talent as well. Um, we have programming for all ages, so we like to introduce kids to the fun of reading when they're young. So we have authors at school visits. Then we have festival field trip visits where we bring high school students in for on-stage events and for writing classes. And then we just have our regular um, on-stage events for adults and writing classes as well. So it's really introducing people to literature and to writing in all different styles, all different genres. It's meant to be a community festival. It's not meant to be a really highbrow, very serious, <laughs> intimidating thing. You don't have to have read the book. You're not gonna be graded on what you've retained. It's um, really a forum for people to discover new subjects and, and learn new ideas. That's so awesome to hear about. And I think that lends really well to that theme that I see coming up for this year's festival, mm -hmm. quote unquote, unbounded, it seems really exciting. The explicit inclusion of work that may be beyond the usual scope that we're used to seeing at a li literary festival is really interesting to me. Where did the idea for this theme originate? Um, I feel like an anniversary year kind of serves two purposes. One obviously is to look back at where we've come from, celebrate how we got here, celebrate like what made us who we are. But it's also an opportunity to really reflect on what we're doing for the community, what we're doing for the artists, um, and for the genre in general. And I think one thing that I really wanted to emphasize with Unbound is the idea that like writing is not just a book you grab at the library. I mean, that's a huge part of it, but the art of writing, the written word art is around us in so many different ways. Um, and we're seeing that in the increase of graphic novels, for example, for adults, not just for kids. You know, they're a different genre than comic books. Uh, the rise of hybrid form and experimentation of zine making. I mean, zine making has been around for a long time, but those kinds of things. And then also like realizing that songwriting and playwriting are writing as well. So I really wanted it to be an opportunity for us to see like how much literature and how much written art actually does influence daily life um, you know in our community so. yeah for sure that sounds really awesome it almost sounds like we're kind of meeting a need for people to feel included which mm -hmm. is so cool what new types of programming is being introduced to this year's festival that you think maybe reflect that theme of unbound best mm -hmm. um so at the teen level we have a zine making workshop with a local artist um his his name on etsy and, and everything is pocket thoughts so <laughs> um you know just in encouraging that combination of 
writing and and drawing and collage and everything like that we also have um our late night series which um we introduced a couple years ago during the pandemic but we've been continuing on and that's really encouraging um people who are interested in looking for more experimental writing so we have some metafiction we have a really beautiful book called Denison Avenue which is half the book is written word and then the other half is purely illustration and oh. so they speak to each other but they're not necessarily exactly the same story um, so and then we've got uh, an art after dark exhibit with an artist who designs book jackets we've got um, music on stage we've got the Gertrudes for that um, and they'll be in con uh, conversation with poet laureate of Kingston, Sadiqa <laughs> DeMeyer, who has also um, co-written some songs with them and will be writing a song specifically for this event. Um, we have the Shoe Project, which is on stage uh, spoken word readings. And then we have a stage reading from the Dan School of Music. So a lot happened. It seems like there is so many moving pieces to this festival. So I was wondering if maybe you could talk to us a little bit about what your role as artistic director comprises and what the team behind the festival looks like sure um so yeah there are a lot of moving pieces programming for the festival usually starts in january um a lot of people are like oh what do you do the rest of the year um but it really is a full-time <laughs> job we're a not-for-profit organization so i mean there is the unglamorous part of grant writing yeah, <laughs> and, for and sure. sponsorship um but uh so as artistic director um my sort of main goal is to curate the festival. So I steer the programming. We have an amazing group of volunteers that sit on the programming advisory committee who we call in because of their specific um, interests in different kinds of genres. There are so many books that get submitted every year that it's not possible for one person to read them all. So their input is really valuable. Um, but we do also have an operations manager who sort of oversees the day-to-day -day administration and things like that um, and then closer to the festival we start bringing on contractors so we have a production manager to help with the staging we have a volunteer manager um, who helps oversee the volunteers like we only have two staff members so right. we rely heavily and very gratefully on our volunteers to make the actual festival happen um, and then there's marketing promotion um, and our education manager who oversees our, our youth events. Um, so it is a small but really passionate team and I'm really grateful that a lot of people return year after year to, to help make it happen. Awesome. So that's so great to hear about. And just sort of looking forward to the programming again, the reading guide as well as the lineup for this year has been released at this point. Mm -hmm. How do you recommend people use the reading guide to their advantage? And generally, how does someone get the most out of Writers Fest? Um, we are working on, so the reading guide is everyone. It's mm -hmm. all of the books that are at the festival. So I would recommend that as kind of, as you're going through the guide, as a way of sort of circling or highlighting books that you might want to check out at the library or pick up at Novel Idea Books. Um, we also have uh, the program guide and the schedule at a glance so people can download those and take a look at them. Um, 
on our website itself, the events are tagged. So if you're particularly interested in fiction or nonfiction, poetry, that kind of thing, you can kind of filter that way. Um, but I really feel like just sitting down with a guide and reading through the program um, is a great way to kind of Oh, I didn't think about that before. Like, yeah. I, I love getting programs to local festivals here because, um, you know, it might not be an artist you've heard of, but it's it's a topic that sounds really interesting yeah. to you. You know, and like I, I often say, and it's kind of the same with, with writing that, you know, when you go to a, a concert, you might have gone for the opener, but then, or for the main artist, but then you discover the opener is someone that you really want to follow. Right, absolutely. Um, and so we try and mix the programming of our festival. So it'll be like, it might be a big name that like, oh yeah, so-and-so, but then they'll be on stage with someone that you might not have heard of, a debut author, and then that's who you run and grab the book for. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would just encourage curiosity and um, we'll be doing a series of features of Meet the Author and Meet the Event uh, in our social media in the coming weeks. So that'll be an opportunity for people to kind of get a get a better sense of, of what's piquing their interest. Okay, awesome. And the social media handle for folks to keep up with you, can I ask what that is? It is WritersFestYGK. Awesome. So you heard it there, Writers Fest YGK. So just to close this off here at this awesome first look, I was wondering what invitation might you extend to folks who have been to Writers Fest before? And maybe what would you say to someone who is considering attending for the first time? Um, I think for people who have been before, um, just we're so excited to, to have them back. It was such an energizing experience last year to be back in person and I think not everyone's been back yet and so you know if you're a little nervous it's like it's the same amazing group of volunteers and amazing audience members that you can sit with and walk around in the halls and and, and share with so um, just remembering that energy and encouraging people to come and if you haven't been before um, I think what uh, I really want to drive home is that like it's don't be intimidated um, I think a lot of times a festival can seem like an overwhelming thing like this monolithic like yeah. what do I do how do I do this um, come to an event like we have some free events we have pay what you can options for all events so really the best way to experience event is to just check one out um, be curious be open-minded uh, again you're not being quizzed on anything you don't have to answer questions <laughs> um, but we do have a really fantastic warm atmosphere that we try to curate and that I think like we have such an engaged audience here that um, a lot of people don't realize like how much fun they end up having when they go to an event. Yeah, well, that's so fantastic to hear. And we're definitely looking forward to it. Listeners, the 15th annual Kingston Writers Fest will be running from September 27th to October 1st, primarily at the Holiday Inn Kingston Waterfront. For the full lineup, reading guide, schedule, and to get tickets now, you can visit kwfunbound.ca. And thank you again, Eris, so much for being here. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That does it for us this week on the Kingston Curator, but remember that you can check out this and all past episodes on our CFRC podcast feed and every Friday on the CFRC airwaves at 3 p.m. That was the Kingston Curator, and this is Lauren Tucker, signing off on 101.9 FM CFRC. Have a fantastic weekend.